the Ortho PAC hosted by Sam Dyer. Welcome to the Ortho PAC where we discuss up-to-date orthopedic topics for the busy clinician. I invite you to sit back and relax as I attempt to fill in the gaps between education, current events, and real-world practice. Today's guest is Shawnee Fleming, a PA with a background in family medicine, adolescent medicine, infectious disease, and urgent care. She is currently on faculty of the University of Maryland Grad School PA program and Intercultural Leadership Certificate program. She also represents the faculty of the graduate program in the President's Diversity Advisory Council. She is considered a diversity and inclusion leader throughout many national and state organizations and has reached thousands of underrepresented students promoting diversity, both in education and in faculty. She is currently working on her PhD. This is an abbreviated introduction, but let's just say you know what you're talking about. Welcome, Shani. Absolutely. Thank you for inviting me. Shani, you spent a good bit of time talking about implicit bias, and I was hoping you could explain what it is, what we need to be aware of, and in researching it more, you might not even be aware that it influences you, which is, you know, how can you fix it if you don't know that you have the influence? I think the self-reflection you talked about, but, you know, it's such an important topic and I don't want to talk around it. Please tell us what it is and what we need to be thinking about. Dawn, um, what she gave an amazing example about how there are some things that we have learned from family members that we hold on to, right? Things like treat others with respect or in my household, like if two adults were talking, you just don't say anything, right? Like as a kid, you need to ask permission to speak or treating folks with kindness. So there are all of these great take-home messages that we learn from family, from media, from all different types of places. But there are some other things that have just also crept in, right? So you can think of some of the language and some of the lessons that you've learned from family members that may not be as positive, right? But it's still in there. I definitely have family members that I've been around and have sort of perpetuated some of these things. And whether you are aware of it or not, it exists. The media what you read, just society as a whole creates these messages that creep in and they're unconscious. We are all well-meaning people. We did not become PAs or medical providers to treat people differently or to treat people bad. There are these unconscious messages that we have. We operate, I think the number is like 5% or maybe 5 to 10% at a conscious level. Everything else is unconscious everything else. So when you think about that, there's no way that you could say that unconscious thoughts, unconscious implicit biases don't have an impact in how you treat patients. It's just a fact. And studies, tons of them have come out to really prove this very point. There have been even textbooks filled with bias. There was this nursing textbook that an entire section sort of talked about how different races deal with pain. I think if you're Muslim, you will rather, instead of taking medicine, you're going to pray to Allah. That's explicit, right? But those are some messages that are there and have been taught to us in our training and just practices. I think there was even a recent study that asked medical students and even lay people about pain. And the vast majority of medical students felt like Black folks were able to tolerate pain more so than others. That maybe the skin was thicker. This was in 2016. 
That was actually a study that somebody did? Yeah, this is a well-known study. I think it was over 400 medical students were surveyed, and this is what came out. That was a belief. And so that translates, and I think even when you're thinking about orthopedic surgery, when you're thinking about who's getting referred for total knee replacements, maybe that's why only one point so of Black men are getting total knees versus four point whatever of white men. Because maybe there's a thought that, oh, they can take it or they can handle that pain. So I don't know. I think that that's a question that as a specialty, you have to kind of ask yourself, but those implicit biases are there and it comes through in the way that you are treating patients. And the great thing is that first, you have to kind of listen to the words that I'm saying and trust it, that it exists. And then once you actually recognize that implicit bias exists, that we operate probably 90% unconscious, you have to make a decision to do something about it. So you can always just say, all right, that's just what it is. And I'm just going to continue moving forward. Just like everything that I'm saying, that's always an option that you don't have to really do the work. But if you do want to do the work and to see how this shows up, there's plenty of things you could do to mitigate bias. And um, I provided several resources uh, during the national conversation, but the Kerwin Institute for the Study of Race and Ethnicity, they have a free implicit bias module series that talks about what it is, how it shows up, how to mitigate bias. This is completely free. And so these are the types of things that you could do, right? So if you say I'm committed to this topic area, I'm committed to doing something about it, there's a free training available. One of the most important and critical pieces is to have empathy Every patient that walks the door, being able to see yourself through what would it be like to walk in their shoes? They've shown that that is, is a really important piece, um, mitigating implicit bias, um, telling yourself different stories about folks, right? So counter storytelling, maybe what you see on TV or what you've heard or what you read, maybe telling yourself a different story, meeting someone, getting to know them, you know, inviting folks to your house so that you actually are getting to know people to really give yourself a counter narrative to whatever that sort of bias is that you may have. So there are lots of mitigating techniques that you can use, but really the first step is going to be recognizing that I have this bias, that it actually shows up in how I'm treating patients and making a decision to move forward and do something about it. Absolutely well said. I think that explains that very well. More research into the, the topic, and I came across another bias that I thought was pretty important, and it's called performative allyship. And when I was reading about it, I got the idea that it was more of an issue like big corporations and that sort of thing, but I think it can be anywhere. And, and the example that I had is when we had these killings of George Floyd and, and the others I talked about earlier, and I don't do social media, so don't throw the stones at me for that, but social media, a lot of posts, like you were standing with you, solidarity and all that. And, you know, basically providing lip service, but not really doing anything and then moving on about your day. This is an important topic. And if you really want to make a change, you need to make a change, not just jump on a bandwagon and, and provide lip service. You know, if you're going to talk the talk, walk the walk is something I read. So what are your thoughts on that? Performative allyship, we, we talk about this a lot, that it's really just putting a lot of lip service, talking the talk, but not walking the walk. 
Absolutely, I agree with you. This was sort of front and center after many of the killings and a lot of these organizations use these platforms to put out these statements and this messaging, but did it translate to action or it was sort of performative measures. So let me change my campaign so that I have more folks of color in these campaigns or maybe change some language. How this hurts is that these are really surface level changes. And what's really needed are structural changes, right? We need fundamental structural changes to occur in order for for change to happen. Um, And I talk about that with health disparities as well. So when we talk about social determinants of health, these are structural issues that are at play that have an impact in people's lives. So it's not going to be enough to name a store after a Black activist. Although that's great, it's nice, it's performative, but is that going to really get down to the root of food insecurity, the fact that I don't have access to food, that where my neighborhood is placed, I don't have access to a grocery store within 10 miles. So the performative piece is like, okay, yeah, I'm all for the cause. I'm going to name this building after somebody, but it's not really getting down to the root of those structural barriers. And so that's where this comes up. That's how it can be hurtful because some folks will feel like, yeah, give yourself a pat on the back, you know, oh, I did my part and let me just go ahead and exist in my comfortable life. But people are still suffering. People are still suffering. So I think that being able to really demonstrate the change that has occurred based off of what you said or, you know, whatever action that you did, what was the impact of that? I think what is critical. I think that's where the disconnect is with performative allyship is that how much of an impact did that name change make? Adding a couple of more faces of color in your ad, what was the impact of doing that versus completely and totally changing your pay scale? right? And being able to give people a living wage. Like that's something that could absolutely make a difference. Shawnee, thank you for that. I truly want to make changes and promote a more inclusionary, uh, diverse group of PAs in orthopedics and orthopedic surgery. I also want to do that for PAOS, including our leadership. How? How do we do it? How can we measure our progress? And what would be some realistic goals for our organization? Great question. You know, again, I think that I keep saying the same thing. It's just really important that you're asking the question because I think that's going to be the first step in making any sort of change. It's just being at a place where you're able to ask the question. My title is equity. This is my title, equity, diversity, inclusion officer um, within my within my school. And so we put equity first, right? We put equity first, diversity second, and inclusion. And the reason is when you're thinking about inclusivity. You want to think about what are you including people in, right? There are some problems with the word inclusion because it's like, well, who's doing the including? What are the measures by which somebody's going to be included? And what's the environment that you're including me in? So I may not want to be included in an organization or an environment that is not welcoming, you know, or their mission or their practices are not meeting some of the demands that are important to me. So what's really critical is looking at the environment, right? So you think about a dinner party. You don't invite people over to your house without cleaning your house first, right? And so I think that that's really the first step is taking a critical look inside and seeing how can I create the best environment possible? What should we be thinking about we haven't talked about? I was able to pull some records from NCCPA and looking at the race 
and the ethnicity of orthopedic surgery specialty. In 2015, it was 91% white. 2019, 91% white. 2015, 2.2 black. 2019, 2.1% black. So that is a clear area that I think that the organization needs to do some critical self-reflection. Is this who we are? People kind of, they don't like it when I say this, but if it's who you are, it's who you are. If that's how you want to represent yourself and just kind of move forward in life, because I think the worst thing is trying to pretend that you want to be something that you're not. So being able to critically look at yourself and say, as an organization or as a specialty, is this who we want to be? If we want to be more reflective of our population and we want to welcome race and ethnic diversity, if this is what we want to do, then we need to take steps to get there, right? So what are we doing at PA programs to recruit folks of color within our programs? What are we doing in our admissions practices? How are we as clinical preceptors demanding that our students really look like the patients that we're serving? How many of us are going to historically Black colleges or Hispanic serving institutions or tribal colleges and mentoring or establishing a pre-PA program? You have to determine what your bandwidth is, where's your sphere of influence, where are you going to take a stand? It could be as simple as going to your PA program and being on the interview committee, or it can go as far as creating a pre-PA orthopedic surgical organization within a HBC, historically Black college university. So I think that you have to determine where that is, but there's so much that you could do as it relates to racial and ethnic representation within the profession as a whole, and then specifically in your specialty. All of this, it connects. After you've read it and you're thinking about it, everything connects. A good buddy of mine that's been on the my organization, POS, for a long time says, you know, I wish there were more people that look like me. And I think I heard you say that when you were doing your, your talk. And imagine your patients, what they're thinking. I think promoting inclusivity, diversity in our group is just better for your patients, if nothing else. So I, I want everybody to think about that. It's very important and it's very meaningful. And I can tell you this, as long as I'm the president of the PAOS and we have this organization, one of my priorities is to promote inclusion, diversity, and to make this a better place. I want our patients to feel comfortable with us and I want us to feel comfortable with our patients. And we're, we're going to do what we can. And Shani, I hope this, like I said, is not the end point. I hope it's a starting point uh, where we can work together and hopefully make our patient more diverse and understand these biases. That's great. Yes, let's keep the conversation going. It's, it's very, very important. Shani, any uh, closing thoughts or anything you'd like to share with our listeners? Thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you so much um, to the listeners for just being open to having this conversation. It's hard. I think that it's complicated. I think it's something that all of us grapple with, every single one of us. Just, you know, what can we do? How can we improve ourselves? And how can we improve kind of the experience of others and really walking from that place of humility? So I just appreciate you all. And I challenge you all to just continue to ask yourself those hard questions and just take a step.
it doesn't have to be a huge leap, but just take a step, whether it's in reading a book, whether it's in doing a self-assessment, going to one of those modules, but just start to move in the direction. It's very comfortable to sit and sort of watch, you know, things happen. But I just, I, I would like to challenge you, and this is the call to action, to just take a step forward. Shawnee Fleming, thank you very much for your time, and we'll talk again soon. Thank you for joining the Ortho PAC podcast. The PAOS Orthopedic Boot Camp, November the 13th and 14th, brush up on your orthopedic assessment and clinical knowledge. Please register online at www.paos.org CME. Again, it's Saturday and Sunday, November the 13th and 14th, a day and a half, 12 hours of CME. So I hope we see you there.